Welcome to One of the Four Experts, where each week my co-hosts and I endeavor to bring you topics of interest, topics and subjects only one week before we knew basically nothing about. Each segment, one of the four of us will be your expert, and the rest won't. I'm Chris. <laughs> Hi, Chris. I'm Joel. Hey, Chris. Hey, Joel. I'm Caitlin. I'm not doing that. I'm Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I'm Josh. glad you didn't do that. Oh, I, did not. I did not <laughs> like it. Yeah, no. <laughs> So, so guys, what did we? Uh, I, I, I kind of want to just talk a little bit about uh, how did how did last week go? Did we do all right? Everybody like you did, did all pretty, right, we did Joel. Pretty good. Joe Pesci got a point. He did. He yeah. did so well. And what a yeah, he was what I a valiant so effort with the episodes because because we're out of sync with our like when we record it. And nobody probably cares about that, but it's just no. weird for us. No, like, I, it's hard for me to keep track of too. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, if you fine. were worried. Well, what episode is this? Oh, why do we have to answer that? Four. Oh, wait, it's four. We made it, guys. Episode four. The big four. We have stuff now. We have social media accounts. We have episodes on iTunes. The the first episode's been out for two other episodes already. Yeah. <laughs> but we didn't, we didn't talk about it because we were recording the other episodes before it happened. It's all very confusing. Well, at the time of recording this, this is not going to be out until like the future. Yeah. Like two, Whoa, two or three right. weeks from Life's now. Life's a wow. simulization, yeah. so it doesn't matter. One of yeah. us might be dead by the time this comes out, and then the listeners won't even know until two weeks after that. And it's going to be so eerie for them when they listen to it. It'll be like listening to a ghost. <laughs> all right. So, so Joel, episode, you're going first. Yeah. Last episode, I got the points, so I get to go first. Um, and uh, I picked a, a less obnoxious topic, I think. Um, I brought a, a fun novelty item that uh, was thought to be... You brought it? No, I, I didn't oh. physically. Then why would you say Damn you it. brought it with you? I got you? excited. I wish I had one, actually. You I, said you I, brought I really do everyone. like them, and I would love to get one. Hint, hint. Oh, okay. Oh. Gift, no- gift ideas for Joel. Noted. <laughs> um, so this is something called a crook's radiometer. Is that how you find water underneath the earth? Spelled radiometer. Uh, no, it's got nothing to do with that. That's, I thought I know I'd what take you're talking guess. about. Those magic sticks yeah, or those rods you know, when you're dowsing water. And yeah. dowsing is a very cool thing. We should definitely. That's a legitimate thing that people still use. Yeah, I know. And it still blows my mind. To I took. Day. I took a very. Kind of I took similar. a very unnecessary humanities class in undergrad where we talked about that. <laughs> For no reason. About dowsing, yeah. Yeah. Dowsing. That this was a is course kind of I chose to take. Un- it, it involves invi- invisible forces. Chris, can you put dings in my? <laughs> Are we dinging? Yeah, every that's gonna now? happen from for forever now. Everybody <laughs> mispronounces a word. It's the Joel tone. Um, so this was a, a device created by Sir William Crooks in 1873, and uh, was originally thought to be an actual like something that measured. Where, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Measured radiation pressure of energy that you put into it. Okay. But it doesn't actually do that. So that now they're just sold in gift shops at science museums. Because oh. they know they can't really use it to measure. Okay, the that's thing why that you said. They use it to measure stuff for. So yeah. what does it look like? Okay. So. Oh, wait, wait. Can it fit inside a bread box? I mean, yeah. Yeah, they, they actually okay. made they made one of these. I was going to get to this at the end. but it was the pocket edition. They made one that was a nano uh nano radiometer which is like very very tiny i don't know how to describe it. it's very well, tiny. i don't know how, how tiny? tiny how tiny is it measured in nano <laughs> so, so like smaller so like yeah, smaller nano so that's, that's smaller than an m&m that's tiny. microscopic yeah 
They made it with gold foil and like all kinds of it's. it's so let me explain what Wait, it is. That so that you can, thing yeah. can this thing. measure radiation, something smaller than you can see. Okay, again, it doesn't actually measure measure radiation. So uh, I'll explain. It's. I'm a, picturing like a machine. So it's a it's a glass bulb. Okay. Kept at a partial vacuum. With a spindle in the middle. Oh, is this a thing where you touch it and the lightning shoots <gasps> Ooh, towards your yeah. fingers? But those are very cool, too. Oh. The Not- therapist from Futurama. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's a Tesla coil. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another great topic. <laughs> just blowing them out of the water here, Chris. That's great. Nobody can bring those now. It's over. No, we should do dowsing. We'll we should do Tesla coils. It's a good idea. Um, On so next week's episode. It has a spindle. I'd like to learn about them. And um, uh, veins. Like a weather vane. Hang on, do you mean do you mean like spindle? Flags. Do you mean spindle like don't bef- you'll prick it before your sixteenth birthday and you'll fall into a deep sleep? <laughs> I don't no. know what is happening right now. <laughs> no, she's like Sleeping about, Beauty, like, oh, a, like on a mill, like on a what are they called? Uh, a loom or loom. something? No, not a loom. Spinning wheel. What the heck is that thing called? I'm losing my mind, guys. I just got so lost. So fast. Yeah. Well, he keeps saying spindle, and I'm not sure what that is. So just like a little a little rod? Like a little wooden, rounded... I don't know. I'm asking. Well, it's convenient that my topic this week is spindles. <laughs> I would love that. So we'll, we'll get there. You're just not going to know what it is <laughs> okay, until a good. segment or two. Okay, it's a yarn spinner. Oh yeah, okay, that, yeah. Okay, so like what Sleeping Beauty pricked her finger on. That's what you're yeah, that, that's what we're trying to get to. Sleeping okay. Beauty pricked her finger on the okay, but so, like now I'm on board. Okay, so continue to describe to us okay, Sleeping so Beauty. You're getting too yes. focused on the spindle here. <laughs> it's there's a there's a flags it's like a weather vane inside of a partial vacuum. Okay. Glass right. bulb, right. Now the weather vane is made up of, of flags, usually four or so um that have a dark face and a reflective face so it's usually black on one side and like white or silver on the other side of these veins so yeah picture a weather vane with like four sides and like all all of one side is alternating alternating black Uh, yeah it's all black on one side and then all silver or white on the other side um that's very important for the science of this so basically it has to be a partial vacuum for the effect to occur and what happens is if you shine a light onto this bulb the veins will rotate on the spindle oh. faster and faster depending on the intensity of the light okay oh, cool that's pretty cool i can picture that right so you get a lot of people who are like this is the light doing this when in fact it's uh it's just the heat inside oh, of the okay. oh, that's why okay. you mentioned thermodynamics. So yeah, so technically this is like a thermodynamic property that happens because the dark side of the of the vein heats up more than the light yeah, side. Yes. And the difference in temperature on both sides create like a wind current inside. Gotcha. But you can't you can't do it at like normal atmospheres. It doesn't function that way. It needs to be at a partial vacuum, so there has to be limited atmosphere inside this this environment, and it also can't be a complete vacuum. So it doesn't really work like in space or whatever. Like it, it can't be a perfect vacuum. Is there any reason for that? If there has to be air molecules present. Oh, okay. And so unless there is something there that can heat up and move, that the air currents won't happen. Gotcha. 
It's crazy. So I still can't like I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. I still can't picture it though. Oh, let me show you a picture, Chris. Please. So everybody at home can just look it up. Um, like again, it, it's it's kind of like a glass bulb. It's very sciency. It's one of those cool things where you see it and you're just like, I'm in a lab now. And then afterward, I would yeah, like to see. Basically, looks like at least from oh, from this right. distance, That's it looks exactly like. Yeah, a light bulb with yep. flags in it. Yeah, it's like a light Joel, bulb. you did such a good job describing that. With a spindle. And the, yeah, thank I, you, Caitlin. I, too, would Chris. be interested no, has, in viewing this. It has nothing to do with the way you described it. It's more it has to do with the way I am and sure. how I'm just bad at listening. Sure. <laughs> no. Right. Well, no, you're you're sitting there just trying to think of your next your next witty comeback. <gasps> yeah, focusing oh, on this. Oh, I don't believe that about Chris. <laughs> I could go either way. So we'll I find know. Chris to be very genuine. <laughs> Crooks Thanks, invented Caitlin. this thing. Genuinely good guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to flip nice it around. Save. Just let him say a nice thing about Chris. Um, Crooks invented this thing. He thought it was a very useful tool to measure, obviously, like radiation, light radiation. And it doesn't, unfortunately, doesn't actually do that. But it took scientists like a, a while to figure that out. And they, they had a couple of other hypotheses around like what made it work originally you know they they did think that maybe the heat was a thing and and i don't know how the thing that blows my mind is that like the specifics of it are so intense like the idea of like putting a black square on one side and a a light square on the other side and then like not realizing that that caused the effect the way that it does is kind of interesting because like he designed it to do this but he didn't know like why it was working which is crazy because you you can't you can't make it work Unless you know, almost, yeah. How did he it, it design like it the way impossible. he did? Yeah, it seems yeah, impossible to design so, it that way if you didn't know what how it was working. Yeah, so I'm assuming the like the black and the silver parts of it have nothing really to do with his intended use for this thing. It just happened to work out that way. Well, the wow. thing that re- usually confuses people is that he thought it was going to spin the other way because you have a reflective surface that that can that the light is hitting. More than the the dark surface absorbs the light, yeah. but it spins in the way like with the with the black part trailing, like leading uh, trailing. Excuse yeah. me, trailing. <laughs> what? The, so I, the darker I, I'm side. I'm following you. So it spins. Though I don't fully understand. It, it spins the opposite direction that he thought it was going to. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it spins the opposite direction that, that most people think it's going to. Because right. when you, if you think of the principle of a solar sail, which is another thing that uses light energy to like propel to turn into like physical energy or there's a better way to say that that's more scientific but we're not experts (laughs) so basically the light hits the reflective surface and actually propels the thing forward hitting as the light reflects off of it that's not it doesn't push the reflected side going the is not the is not going backwards you know what i'm saying i i think i know what you're saying so when the light hits the reflective side you would think it would push it right and and cause the reflective side to be the side that trail okay i see i see but it goes the other way it goes the other way because the black side is the side that absorbs the most heat right yeah. i think i got you okay i yeah that makes sense to me now i think i got so you enough a, to it's for you to continue if you of, want. It comes down to being a matter of gas. So the, the yeah. story of my life. As a matter of gas. Always does. As, 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 as the gas in the, nice. in the bulb heats up, it, it uh, creates the air currents that allow this thing to spin. And it, it, touch, it comes in contact with the outside of the bulb and cools off. 
and then goes back into the into the um, system. So, so it, it creates it like a little weather on, system. You're right. So it, it yeah, it holds vortex. on to that heat. Mm-hmm. And it, there's another cool, like, it. little interesting thing. So if you if you heat it up and get it spinning, and then put it in a freezer real quick, or like cool it off very quickly, it will actually rotate in the opposite direction. Huh. Wow. wow. Um, oh yeah, that makes sense because like cold air sinks, so right. it would just pull it all the other way. It's really neat. Ooh. And then the other thing that's kind of interesting is that light works really well because of the greenhouse effect of the glass. So if you didn't have the glass, it would be a different story. But since you have this glass atmosphere and the glass creates like an insulation, if you just heat it with like a heater, the infrared energy takes a lot longer and doesn't make it spin as quickly as if you shine a light on it. So if you just uh. like put an infrared heater on it and just like tried to heat it up with yeah. just heat, doesn't work the same way. Wow. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool. That's and very then, interesting. Uh, what else? The, um, the nano one with the gold, that's pretty cool. Uh, but in general, yeah, they don't they don't use it for anything that they. Wait, I still don't understand the nano one. Just tiny. It's just really tiny. So yeah, they made one that was exactly one hundred nanometers in diameter. Oh wow. shit! See, I thought they named it nano the way they like, named no, the no, iPod that's, that's nano. The yeah, like nano, a marketing ploy. But it's actually nano. I just like can't wrap my head around that. Another name it's for this thing is, is light small. mill. Did I already say that? Light mill. Yeah, uh, light mill, which is cool. That's a great. I don't know if you did that. Is yeah. I just want one. So, but okay. So there's no besides it just being a cool thing. There's no use for it. It's just like a thing that it does. Right. They thought it. <laughs> they thought they could use it to actually measure like. Um, pressure and it kind of does but it doesn't it doesn't measure the radiation pressure that they thought it did okay that's That's great pretty much it guys it's just a little toy but wait hang on so why did they make one that was so tiny why did they try to make Uh, one that's only 100 nanometers that's let me let me look at it hold on so basically they it was you can't look at it right it's too tiny It, it actually works on a, a different physics principle than the, than the bigger one, for some reason. Wow. Um, it's illuminated by a little laser light, and uh, somebody just kind of theorized that it would work. Um, and what happened is they decided they would do it at the University of California, Berkeley. And they were like, let's give it a shot. This guy, physicist Richard Beth, decided that uh, he thought it could, it could be possible. But what happens is the torque is greatly enhanced by, uh, all right, this is going to get weird, the resonant coupling of the incident light in the plasmonic wave in the gold structure. Okay, that's some heady shit. I am lost now. But <laughs> yep. So which is right. why I can't really explain why that one's better. But cool. the fact that it, it has enhanced, um, you know, torque makes it a lot more functional of a motor. Okay. You know what I mean? Like it can actually do something, right. power something, even though it's but again, 100 nanometers. So like, it's kind of cool. Like they it's could really cool. Do I mean, something with it. Yeah, I like nanobots. Yeah, floating around in your bloodstream, telling you what to do, calling the shots on you, especially Chris. <laughs> oh my god! Coming after. Oh Chris. no! <laughs> Point for Josh. Yeah, I think so. What? Why? That sounds, that sounds what? right. I don't know. That's yeah. probably right. No, that's that unacceptable. Right to me too. I'm not giving that point. No, no, that's no. I well, will not accept that's that. Okay, point. Somebody's Chris. mic just exploded. Yeah, I mean, uh oh. I don't know what that was. What? It was Chris's mic. That cable. Is it that? Yeah, yeah. It's so it. I, I can't all touch right. it at all. Okay, that's don't fine. touch your cable. Oh, all right. <laughs> not in public. Ha. All right. Um, hundred nanometers. Goddamn, that's tiny. Yeah. That's so tiny. Yeah. Yep. I I agree. 
<laughs> that's it, guys. That's all of it. That's, all a, right. that's, that's a little great, toy. Joel, we that was it. cool. I, yeah, I didn't know about that. We what should get one for the studio. Sorry, what exactly is it called again? What's just the name it's of the thing? It's called a Crooks Radiometer. Crooks Radiometer. Uh-huh. And what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> Go home, Chris. You're drunk. <laughs> Crooks Radiometer. Oh, uh, well, that's that probably, right? Yeah, I think so. We'll be back in a jiffy lube. All right, we are back. Um, Caitlin is next. Thanks, Joel. Um, so my topic this week uh, are the Kentucky blues. Kentucky you guys... blues. That's yeah. a music genre, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible, terrible joke. It's not a joke. Wait, did, is it because, Chris, you know what it's it is? It's a sports team, right? Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... the, the... Josh, you want to try? This is hysterical <laughs> to me right now. <laughs> Blue Jays, right? <laughs> Kentucky Blues. Kentucky Blues. I didn't even really ask you what it, you thought it was. But. Kentucky Blues is a, is a condition some horses get. <gasps> You're, where, you've come the closest. Where their front legs are Whoa. comically longer <laughs> than their back legs. Oh, oh I've heard about this, actually. And blues. watching them walk is just it's so very, tragic. Very silly, oh, and that's though. sad. So it's like you're blue. Uh, no, it actually... No, the, it's extremely funny. It's not funny at all. It. The front legs are so long that they the feet turn blue because of the Whoa. lack of circulation. Okay, well, weirdly, Josh has come the closest because it it refers to people who have metemoglobinemia, which is a blood disorder where an abnormal amount of metemoglobin is produced, meaning more than 1%. And it's caused by a hereditary genetic effect that leads to a deficiency of a certain enzyme or protein. And that missing protein is responsible for converting metemoglobin to hemoglobin blood cells. So, like, it is a genetic disorder, a rare one, in which you're missing a protein or enzyme that helps you have less metemoglobin and more hemoglobin. Where's this Kentucky come in there? Yeah, I'm getting there. Um... So, in cases where it's over 10%, which is very rare, health issues can occur, and those symptoms include shortness of breath, cyanosis, mental status changes, and other things at, when you get around like 50%. What's cyanosis? I'm not really sure. I just hear mental status changes, and I think about like Pokemon status changes, or like yeah, when your guy you're, gets you're put poisoned, you get put to sleep, it's status yeah. change. Yeah, so that's what happens if it's really severe, but it's usually not that severe. So when it's not as severe, there are no health problems associated with the disorder. And in fact, many afflicted live well into their 80s and 90s. But the way it physically manifests itself understandably causes psychological trauma. And this is because the unusually high amount of metemoglobin turns a person's skin blue Lips purple and blood a chocolate brown. That's what cyanosis is. Is this what happened to the flying purple people eater? Uh, <laughs> we These may are never the know. That the flying purple people eater ate. Did the flying purple people eater eat purple people, or was a flying purple people eater purple? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes. And. Yes, and. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, so many times it is passed down genetically. So it can be it can be triggered by exposure to particular chemicals, including 
benzocaine and xylocaine, which are anesthetics, nitrobenzene, certain antibiotics like dapsone and chloroquine, and nitrites, which are used as additives to prevent meat from spoiling. So you can get it by exposure to chemicals, though it's known for the hereditary way, which where it's caused by a recessive gene. So if only one parent has it, the children will have typical hued skin. Um, but if both parents carry the gene, there's a chance that the children will have blue skin. Sorry, how common was it again? Not common. Like one in, does it, is there a statistic one in how many? Hang on, let me try, let me find a statistic. What, like what type of blue? I'm, indigo. Indigo, okay. And it can be so deep. Wow. Like very, very indigo blue. Sounds gorgeous. Uh, yeah, it probably well, no, actually, like the, I don't know. Do you remember uh, in um, the Fifth Element? There's yeah. a very, very blue lady who sings, and it's very That's nice. True. Uh-huh. She's got a great color. Smurfette. Ooh. Yep. Now I'm picking. I up can't what you're find down. a statistic of how common it was. That's how uncommon it was. They don't even. Yeah. They don't even know. It's really just a theory. Uh, it just says <laughs> rare. It's not theoretical. It's a real thing, huh. Chris. Yeah. That's all right. It, it says it's. It just says rare. That's all I'm finding. Like um, a steak. I mean, is it possible that it just hasn't really been researched enough that they just really they, on, they honestly just don't, don't think know? So, oh my gosh, it says the frequency, the congenital frequency, is unknown. So yeah, there's just oh, wow. not enough research done about it. Hmm. Well, and this is for good cause because it was so rare that it was pretty much all traced back to one family. Wow. Yeah, because um, they were so geographically isolated from other families at the time. This is 1820. Um, So the most well-known case of the disorder was the Fugit family living in the hills of Kentucky, who became later known as the, the Blue Fugits. And they're the most notable example of the disorder. In 1820, Martin Fugit, who was a French orphan, uh, arrived in Troublesome Creek, a remote settlement in eastern Kentucky, with his wife, Elizabeth Smith. He had the disorder, and it appeared blue. Um, She, however, had red hair and fair skin. Against insane odds and unbeknownst to the couple, Elizabeth also carried the gene. She was from a nearby clan with whom the Fugit family frequently intermarried, and as a result, many of the Fugit children were born with the disorder. Oh, that is some... So it comes from... McPoyle level. Yeah, it comes from inbreeding, but because they were so isolated from other people at the time, it was their only option, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, It was a small settlement with little to no access to the rest of the state. There were no roads or railways connecting it. Like, imagine that. Wow. This meant that the local children had an extremely limited pool of potential partners, and intermarrying and inbreeding happened frequently. For example, that man, um, Martin Fugit, and his wife's son, Zachariah, married his aunt. So His son. Okay, yeah. mm -hmm, He married his His, either mother or sister's sister. Yeah, mother or father's sister. Mother or father's (laughs) sister. (laughs) His sister's sister. (laughs) Is him. Oh, <laughs> no. The doctor was a woman. <laughs> but yeah, so news about the family because they're, I'm talking, you can look, we can, we'll post a picture, a link to a picture or like a really good article I read about it actually. We'll link to that. Um, 
It shows a picture that's like very grainy. It's extremely old. Again, we're talking 1820. Um, they, they like, it's very, very blue, extremely blue. So, and their nails and hair also. Um, news about the family spread throughout the mid 19th century. And by the 1860s, a hematologist, Dr. Madison Cowen, and his nurse, Ruth Pendergra- Pendergrass, arrived in Troublesome Creek to study the family because Something they heard about, about them. Pendergrass. It sounds, it sounds like, like a, a, like a, ro- like a children's or a middle grade fantasy yeah, novel series. It, so- it sounds like <laughs> the last name of someone from like a lemony snicket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's what I thought too. Point for Chris. Oh, hell <laughs> yeah. Susie Crabgrass from Ned's Declassified School Survival Ooh, Guide. We'll post a link to that, anyone? too. Yeah. <laughs> that, wow. We'll post a link to that. That's worth that's it. No, oh, that was great. Um, I had friends growing up who entered a contest to get, like, screeners of pilots for Nickelodeon. So you, they would, like, send you these screeners of... A show that like might come out. That's amazing. And but and That's they like dream. the way they marketed it was that you would like throw a party, yeah, and film it, and like Nick will show it. We'll show your party. Yeah, we'll show like a clip from your party or something. And so my friends won this, and one of them was that <laughs> Ned's, Ned's declassified, declassified school yeah. survival guide. Exactly. So I I saw the first episode like before it became. Fucking, what do, you, what do you think the actor who played Coconut Head is doing? <laughs> oh, he's for sure dead now, right? Oh, no. I don't know. He has to be. All right, so. Well, is his head a coconut? I don't know this show. Oh, no, guys, I Joel doesn't you know. you can't survive long with a head that's a coconut. Okay, guys. It's a medical coconut. marvel All right. that he made it. Better. Like, okay, so this met. I'm glad you said medical marvel. Ooh, another um, point for me? No. No. Uh, so Pendergrass <laughs> and Cowen, uh, too close to Cowain, the sun. Uh, they, he, they met with members of the Fugit clan, including a couple called Patrick and Rachel Ritchie, who Cowen described as, and this is a quote from him that was famous, bluer in hell. Bluer in hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yep. um, in hell. So these are very That's- blue people. Um, and after making sure it wasn't heart disease, they worried it was something wrong with their heart. Um, the doctor-nurse team mapped the clan on a family tree and determined that the cause of the met- methemoglobinemia was a lack of the enzyme diaphorase. And he developed a cure, which was a shot of methylene blue, which is a medication and dye. And uh, when injected with this, their skin changed color before his eyes. Whoa. That's wild. Mm-hmm. It became pink. Um, like it's fluorescent pink? No. <laughs> uh, like skin color. No, like, oh, yeah. Like people. Yeah, just, <laughs> yes. Um, so, but the effect was only temporary as it promptly leaves the body when you pee. Um, like mm. you pee it out. But when you take it daily, um, the, the family was able to lead relatively normal lives because of it. it. It really, but they faced a lot of like persecution. Um, and bigotry uh, when they did interact with other people because of how they looked. And so it was pretty psychologically traumatic for them. Yeah, sure. So as travel became easier into the 20th century, the families finally spread out, widening their gene pool, reducing the recessive gene in the local population, and with it, the probability of inheriting the disease. So a man named Benjamin Stacy 
born in 1975, is the last known descendant of the Fugits to have been born, exhibiting the characteristic blue color of the disease. And even he lost his blue skin tone as he got older. Hmm. So there may be descendants of the clan with recessive genes out there somewhere still. Looking for you, little blue babies. But they probably won't exhibit. It's like so, 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 so rare a chance that that would happen because of how the population has grown and how, like, globalism is. Well, maybe we'll start getting different, different, like, rainbow-colored babies. Maybe, like, a green baby. Ooh. It'll be the the next evolution of, like, tattooing. People will show up and just be like, I'm going to go get a full-body dye job tomorrow, guys. (laughs) Genetic engineering is going to give us multicolored baby rainbows. Zebra stripes, the whole nine. It's going to be great. (laughs) Cheetah print babies. Oh, that's tacky. Designer babies. <laughs> is that what they mean by designer baby? Or I, I don't think so. I that a, a eugenics thing? Think so. Yeah, I always thought it was. You yeah, know, watch the like movie Gattaca. What is that about? Well, I'm sorry. It's about Chris, what? What? You don't you never seen Gattaca? No, I haven't either. Oh, you gotta right. well, see Gattaca. We're not gonna get into that right now. <laughs> okay. It's a good movie. What about this relates to that though? Genetic, ge- the genetic uh, design. You guys were talking about yeah. like if it that would be possible. But, you know, I pro- I don't think so. But isn't that just like a really, I, um, I had never heard about it before. And I want to do a shout out to the book um, that'll be coming out in May from Sourcebooks by Kim Michelle Richardson, the book woman of Troublesome Creek. For a minute, I thought you got like a, a secret message from a listener that I was like, how did you, we've had, we had one episode. Oh, no, I so heard far. about it. <laughs> like, I heard about it this weekend at Midwinter. Um, we don't need to talk about, but, um, I heard about it at a conference and it sounded really interesting to me and looked really good. And I had never heard about this before. Well, now that you've said that, um, anybody who wants to send us stuff, send us stuff. We have an email (laughs) address now. It's one out of four experts at gmail.com. If you want to send us topics, do that. Also send us corrections that we won't talk about. And omissions. Yep. Um, cool. Yeah. Right on. That was really interesting. I didn't know. I did not know about that at all. Oh, I had. Thanks. I had wondered. I, I mentioned it to someone, and they had heard of it. So yeah, I, I was not. wondering if that I've was... heard of that, Caitlin. That's stupid. Don't bring it <laughs> no. up on a podcast. They did not say that. <laughs> you can't be talking about blue people on podcasts, <laughs> especially if you got one of those fart podcasts. Yeah, it's one of those nice callback. Uh, that's a good place to end. It's <laughs> a good place to end. Right. Was that long yeah, enough? Right was about that long here. Enough? Hey, we're back. Josh, what's up this week? All right, so I'm going to set a scene here. Oh, God. (laughs) It was November 30th. Do we have to close our eyes? No. Okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, I think that's that's better. It was November 30th, 1939 in Finland. World War II was only three months old. And the Soviet Union decided that they're gonna they're gonna flex on Finland, and they started invading, and it was uh, pretty pretty scary. And uh, what became known as the Winter War began. Hmm. Okay. So at the time, Finland was a neutral country; they didn't want anything to do with this, but they they uh, didn't have a choice because of their proximity to the Soviet Union. And they just invaded them. Pretty much, yeah. They the Soviet Union was kind of demanding that they just give up a bunch of their land. And they were like, no. So then the Soviets were like, all right, well, then we're going to try to take it. 
Um, so the Finns kind of buckled down and defended the best that they could. And uh, one tiny guy in particular proved to be an unstoppable Soviet slaughtering machine. Did you say one tiny guy? One, one tiny, tiny guy. guy. Who was he? Well, he was so deadly that the Soviets just nicknamed him the White Death. Oh my god. Yes, and I'm talking about the deadliest sniper to have ever lived, Simo Heihe. Oh. I'm not sure if I could say his last name correctly because it's Finnish, and uh, I, it's a really tough language. Um, yeah, he was the deadliest sniper to ever live, and uh, he was born on December 17th, 1905, in the municipality of, oh god, Rautjärvi in Finland, which uh, is in the southern part of Finland. You gotta YouTube these pronunciations, bud. I did, and it, I, <laughs> it wasn't sticking. It doesn't, yeah, that's it, was, I was like me and this philosopher's Yeah, um, you should have seen it earlier. I had Chris just plug his ears, and I listened to it like ten times, and it still didn't yeah. remember it. Um, <laughs> now, can I open my eyes yet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, keep them closed. Yeah, this okay. is... Because uh, oh, right. uh, it's about to get real graphic. Okay, ooh, ooh all right. Um... So he was born in the southern part of Finland, which was really close to the border of present-day Russia. And he was the second youngest of eight children and born into a farming family. So he himself was a farmer, and he was an extremely skilled hunter and skier. <laughs> That's important. Okay. Wait, why wait, is that funny? Did he ski and snipe people at the same time? <gasps> is like that... That's definitely going to happen. No. Right. Wait, hang on, wait. Hang on. Is, that what the, is that what the Olympic event Biathlon is based on kind of. So he, that's he, not, is that yeah that is yeah. Skiing. yeah so he probably yeah, would shooting. have been unparalleled in that. Wait, do I get a point? No, because that's do you not know anything that to do biathlon with... is based on that. No. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's unproven. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I did not look into that at all. Um, but because of his upbringing, he just naturally became a really good marksman because he had to use his gun all the time for hunting and farming and things of the sort. And uh, in 1925, he joined the military. And, you know, it was kind of chill in the world uh, until 14 years later uh, when the Soviets started invading Finland. So he took up arms to protect his country. So he fought particularly in the Battle of Kola which lasted almost the entirety of the Winter War, uh, and it was one of the only Finnish victories of the war. So this entire war was really short, because it was kind of happening at the same time as World War II. So the Winter War was only 105 days long. Yeah, no one's got time for two wars. Right? No one's got time for that. Especially Finland, like, they're neutral. They're just trying to mine their own shit. So this whole thing was only 105 days. Um, and it ended in a peace treaty where the Soviets ended up actually seizing a bunch of land and resources. Both sides suffered very heavy losses. But the Soviet army far outnumbered the Finnish army, like, many, many, many times over. Um, and the Finns relied really heavily on their knowledge of the land and their supreme ability... Supreme ability at fighting in the absurdly harsh conditions of the Finnish winter because it was super cold. Like temperatures were going down to forty below Only zero. Only the Finns could defeat Russia in winter. Yeah, <laughs> like, what is happening? Yeah. Actually, though, so it created a, a very interesting combat environment. Uh, so the Soviets were able to penetrate a lot of the Finnish defenses um, because a lot of them were kind of set up along roads and they 
just steamrolled through the fins. Uh, but the area that SEMA was fighting in didn't really have many roads at all. And it had some pretty gnarly terrain. And uh, especially in the winter, it was pretty tough to get around. So for SEMA, this part was just like home. This scenario set up the perfect formula for just killing a bunch of commie bastards. Um, <laughs> so he has 505 confirmed kills. In a three-month oh three-month period, he killed five hundred five people. How do we know wow. that? That's so specific. That's this is confir- this yeah, is confirmed. confirmed yeah, kills, so he's probably yeah. far he kept, exceeds he that He kept number. their teeth. Yes. So it's <gasps> wait. Well, no, he didn't keep oh. their teeth. No, <laughs> I Chris no, I was no, saying yes, yes to Joel. Yeah. Yes to Joel, and and that most people think that he probably killed closer to eight hundred people, but just those five hundred five are super confirmed. Yeah, I'll give you a point for that, Joel. That was good. Um, good work, dude. Yep. I'm so proud of Bob you. Where was he here? Yeah. So he served for only that. 98 days and killed 505 people. That's an average of over five people every day. Oh that is God. so gnarly. <laughs> and yeah, and he was five foot three. He was this five foot three dude. I don't know why That's that makes it better, but me. it does. Yeah, yeah, and he's just a tiny guy. And I'll show you pictures of him. Every picture, he just has a big smile on his face, and he looks like a, a happy, tiny little guy. He just and killed he five people earlier an, that day. Yeah, unstoppable killing machine. Um, but it's really impossible to get a total exact tally. Uh, you know, the number's probably much higher, but all the losses were on the Soviet side, and they're not probably keeping track. So the only kills that were confirmed uh, were confirmed by his comrades. So he had witnesses. And uh, he was basically invisible in the forests. And like I said, he was small. He was five foot three. And the fins... <laughs> it's like, oh, like that sentence is so nonchalant. Yeah, he was basically invisible in the forests. He was. He was only five foot three. Uh, and the Finns had badass snow camo. So they really knew how to blend into their environment. And the Soviets didn't. They just had whatever red bullshit they were wearing. Okay. Um, so they kind of stood out. Um, oh, I see. But he exercised all kinds of tactics to remain hidden. So he only used his standard issue M2830, which he owned, you know, he got it upon enlisting 14 years prior. Um, so even though guns back then had telescopic sights he preferred to just use the plain old iron sights on his rifle so he didn't use any telescopic sight uh because he didn't want the sun to reflect off the scope and give away his position yeah yeah and the scopes would fog up and uh using the iron sights allowed him to keep a, a smaller profile and he was still able to snipe people from 150 meters out, which is about 500 feet, but with Damn. no scope. Wow. And oh, like a 360 no scope from fucking Call of Duty. How did he learn all? How did he learn? Just his entire upbringing was just skiing and hunting. Oh, and yeah. He said that. Particularly, um, he would hunt these types of birds that were really sensitive uh, their their hearing was incredibly sensitive, so the smallest sound would startle them. Wow! And he would just wait in one position until they would get into his line of sight. So he knew how to just be invisible and totally silent. <laughs> and uh, glad I know that detail. So he would also pack down snow around the barrel of his rifle, so every time he shot it, it wouldn't leave a, a muzzle blast, like a little poof of snow in the air. Uh, and he would stuff snow in his mouth to make it so his breath wasn't visible. 
Oh my God, I didn't even know you could do that. Right? And he could ski like a motherfucker. So this tiny guy would post up, kill a shitload of people, and then just hop on his skis and disappear into the woods. (laughs) (laughs) At night, he had... So he had a few spots where he would post up and just chill there for hours at a time waiting for a target to pass through his sights. Um... And to keep uh, supplies stocked and everything, he would visit periodically all of the sites overnight and just drop supplies for himself and then just kind of dart between them throughout the day. And, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. That's like how they survived in the Hunger Games. Well, he he <laughs> survived. Did they do that? Yeah, probably. I don't know. So his deadliest day was on December 21st in 1939. He killed 25 people that day, 25 people in a single day. So mostly this, this rifle he was using is a fucking bolt action rifle. So it's one shot. Then you've got to get a new shell thing in there. And he was just mowing down fucking Muppets. It was awesome. That's insane. And uh, on more than one occasion, he pissed off the Soviets so badly that they responded by just blindly firing in his general direction and launching a shitload of mortars, and he always disappeared and never got blown up. <laughs> like, they could not kill this guy. He was indestructible. We so, can't even make jokes in this segment, Josh. Yeah. This is guy nuts. Is so rad. So, in, in all, in total, he had 259 confirmed sniper kills, and then the other kills were uh, with, like, submachine gun uh, in close range. So, he just lived on the front lines. All day, he just was shooting people. Now, unfortunately, the seemingly invincible and invisible mobile slaughterhouse caught an explosive bullet to the face on March 6th, 1940. While this bullet blew off the lower left part of his jaw and put him into a coma for a week, he did not die. Are you kidding me? Oh. He, <laughs> and he awoke the day... I was not expecting that. He awoke the day the peace treaty between Finland and the Soviet Union was signed, and some people speculate that the Soviets heard that he woke up, and they were like, all right, we'll sign a peace treaty. <laughs> but I don't think that's actually no. what happened, because the Soviets were kind of... That's what the Finns Wrecking say. the Finns, yeah. yeah. That's what um, the myth has become. So, uh, yeah, that ended the Winter War. They signed that peace treaty. whole thing was only 105 days. And, again, Simo only fought for 98 of those days and killed at least 505 people, very likely more. How much longer did he live after he woke up from the coma? So, after the war, uh, he largely lived in isolation and returned to farming. He just kind of kept to himself. Uh, he became a moose hunter, professional moose hunter, oh and a God. dog breeder. Uh, he passed away on April 1st, 2002, Ooh. At the age of 96. What? (laughs) So, an explosive round to the face didn't kill him, but time, the great equalizer, caught up and got him in the end. He'll forever be one of the baddest assest motherfuckers of all time. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Good old Simo. Thank you. We are back, Chris. Kick out the gin. For my topic this week, I wanted to, you know, I just want to see Josh succeed, so I chose something that I, I thought was stacking the deck in his favor, points-wise. That's hilarious, because j- before Josh, we started recording, yeah. <laughs> Josh demanded he, was, he loses every episode. Well, he didn't want it to be a thing that we talk about, but now it's out there. <laughs> Thanks for ruining my shtick. Well, I'm anyway. uncomfortable. Keep going, Chris. Um, so I want to talk about roller coasters. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. Just like in general? Oh, well, yeah. Like the history of them. Oh, I thought you were going to go into like, but Roller Coaster Tycoon, though. No, I already know way too much about that. Okay, that's fair. All right. Um, but I didn't know a lot about the history of roller coasters uh, before before I looked this up. So that's why I, I chose it. Yeah, I don't and now know I do. So, um, they're actually old as fuck. Yes, they wow. are. So, uh, oh, Josh got a point for saying yes, they are. No, okay. <laughs> Wait, if I can just agree no. with shit and get no, a point. No, we're not doing that. Um, so, the earliest iteration of a roller coaster was something called a Russian Mountain. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, that's going to be a violent name. Yeah. It's going to be like the Murder Face Crusher or something. <laughs> well, so it's actually from uh, the 1700s. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, in the 18th century, the Russians, uh, they had these large ice slides on hills of snow and they had like wooden supports up to kind of like make a track of where they would slide down on this hill and it would be between 70 and 80 feet tall with like a 50 degree drop russia is wild guys it would be it would be a russian adventure yeah or finland (laughs) yeah Yeah. also crazy um so it was very popular with the russian upper class as it as as they are today um <laughs> from real, uh real big sledders and yeah so uh in fact uh catherine the second aka catherine the great uh aka the empress of russia from 1762 to 1796 okay she loved that shit and she had her own russian mountain built what wow. yeah and, like uh, at her house at her at her house <laughs> at her condo yeah she had that built and she, she put a pavilion right next to it so that she can go down the slide and then get off and drink some tea. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> much, much like we do today with yeah, roller coasters. That's yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what um, we still gotta have do. have the tea shack. Yeah. Bottom. Every six flags. Yeah. So much tea. Um, jumping ahead a bit to 1815, Russian soldiers who were occupying Paris after the defeat of Napoleon at Waterloo they they did this thing in Paris. They like found snowy hills to go down. They were like, it's like it's like the motherland. We're going down these wow. hills. And then uh the French the French saw this, the Parisians saw this, and they were like, that's pretty tight. So then uh kind of spread across France and then they were really into roller coasters for a while and they actually started like building them so it wasn't just snow anymore now it was like actually they'd make a track hmm. um what was the excitement rating the excitement rating uh i mean at this point the excitement rating was probably pretty low honestly. no i don't know like about that one? because at the time they didn't even think they would ever ride anything more exciting than that so That's, i think the well, rating yeah. i think adjusted for inflation <laughs> <laughs> the excitement rating the inflation. excitement rating would be around the same How about the intensity like as, rating? as some are now so i assume the intensity rating was pretty up there yeah no harnesses. for like the first one yeah yeah not thinking like a seven or an eight at least yeah the russian mountain looks too intense for me okay oh yeah. my um, goodness i didn't expect the that russian mountain makes me feel sick yeah um, so, um <laughs> <laughs> you guys are doing tycoon references yeah. and i love it the diehards will get it yeah so yeah. um two years after uh the russians introduced the the french to the concept of riding around on something for fun um <laughs> just the idea of it there was a french banker named uh nicholas 
Bojan, Bojan. I don't know. Something like that. B e a u j o n. Yep. That's yeah. Okay. Something like that. Um, he opened up an amusement park. Uh, he. That's what French sounds that's like my, sometimes. That's my French sounds. <laughs> he opened up an amusement park in 1817, named it after himself, just like Walt Disney, but it was uh, Bujan Park. Okay. And it had uh, like a permanent like roller coaster that was built uh, called Aerial Strolls, which <laughs> uh, actually had wheels on the cars. Whoa. And guide rails to keep them in place, which, ne- which neither of those previous were on models the- did not. Yeah, have they did not. So, like, where did I always thought like roller coasters were like iterations of like mine cart well, adventures. You you oh, get a wow. point. You get a point oh, for sure I would because not I was just that. about to get into something. Uh, mine train coasters. Well, that is a thing. Like but, the Indiana Jones ride. But specifically in the 1850s. Uh, in Pennsylvania, so we're in America now. Oh my Jim god! Um, the coal region where my family is from. Yeah, so there was a mining company that... What's it called? Um, it'll have... Hold on, I can find it. Oh, it actually doesn't... It doesn't. So it doesn't have the name of the mining company, but it was in... Oh, then was, I know it. <laughs> it was in Summit Hill, Pennsylvania. Um, hmm. And they had, they had a railroad that they used for mining, um, but there was a a part of it that went downhill and it went pretty fast and they would like sell rides on that portion of the track mm. to people in town for fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. But like, you know what I mean? Like it seems like the, almost like the mine cart thing came after the roller coasters of like Russia and Brent. Or was it just like a merging of the two ideas? Weird. I think that's what it was. That sounds, I think that sounds right. Yeah. I think they were just like, someone was like, you know, people like to just do this for fun. It's not just work. It's amusement. So they did it. So then it's, it's interesting. There are a lot of things that they originally invented for a roller coaster that actually was a lot sooner than I expected, but then it kind of went away and came back. So like the first vertical loop concept. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was that was in like the, uh, wasn't it like the late 1800s? Yeah, it was in the 1880s. Point? Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, by uh, so Lena Beecher was a roller coaster architect. You didn't use it. Good job. Hmm. A roller coaster tycoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Lena Lena Beecher was the earliest roller coaster tycoon. Um, and it is a man. When I read that name, I thought it was a woman, and I was excited. I was like, oh, a woman invented the mm-hmm. vertical loop. But tragically, it is a man. <laughs> um, so he built the first uh, vertical loop in North America. I couldn't really find too much information on... Like, there there were vertical Other, loops yeah. um it just seems Before like that? such an early time to be putting loops in these things, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let's... And it, it was. Yeah. Oh, it totally was. <laughs> it was. So Lena Beecher was the first one to like really explore the concept of the vertical loop and actually implement it in a way that was used for a little while on like a, a permanent ride that ran for a little while. And it was called the Flip Flap Railway. Oh, hey, man. hey, hey. That's um, so old timey. Yeah. 
but it was actually very dangerous, and a lot of people got whiplash. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah that checks is. out. They did. I still don't like roller coasters because of the whiplash. Yeah. Yeah. So they. I, agree. they did, I mean, I um, like. I do like roller coasters, but. I don't like that aspect of it. That was the first one, but he designed a few looping roller coasters, and they all had the same complaint. People were getting whiplash, so they, they tore them all down. Wasn't it because he built the loop too circular, and the, the loops need to be more of like an oval? It didn't actually say, but that, that makes sense. Right. Those, their vertical Gs were just too intense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so they stretch them out, make them taller, and a little more narrow to kind of like... Yeah. Ease the G's. Ease the G's. <laughs> Ease into the G's. Yeah. They took down those roller coasters because they were very dangerous. Um, and then the looping roller coasters didn't really make a comeback until like the 1950s. Wow. So hmm. like over half a century later. But uh, again, I was I was just kind of interested learning learning this that like. A lot of thi- like the vertical loop, and like there's a there's a lot of stuff that was invented for roller coasters a lot sooner than I yeah would, definitely. would have thought. So like there's a guy John Miller who came up with the under friction roller coaster, which is still what they use today. Okay, which mm-hmm. is where there's wheels on it, and then underneath those wheels, there's a second set of wheels on the underside of the track mm-hmm. that keeps it like locked into place on the track and the wheels on top work like regular wheels Mm -hmm. that you know are on vehicles and then the ones underneath it are actually like 90 degrees turn from that so they're actually kind of facing inward okay and they kind of run along the track that way and that keeps the car locked on the track okay and they still they still use that today and that was invented uh 100 years ago. Wow. wow. That's pretty cool. Um, As yeah. opposed so, to side friction. Yeah. Actually. Chris, I was able to find the uh, the first inversion oh, in you did? Okay. history. It was, uh, it was a Russian one, I think. Yeah, or it was a French France. one. Yeah. yeah it, Paris, France. It's called the Centrif- Centrifugal Railway. Centrifugal. Yeah. I can't even Centrifugal, 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 Centrifugal Railway. Yeah, Centrifugal Railway. Simulization. Yeah. <laughs> Centrifugal, yeah. centrifugal. Um, yeah. yeah, I looked. I looked at that, and that they even had like a. There's a diagram of what it looked like. Oh yeah, there's a great picture of like it, these perfectly round loops, and yeah. they look terrifying. <laughs> and I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it just like started at one side on the top, and then went down. It went over a loop, and then that was the ride. That's the yeah. whole ride. Yeah. It's just yeah. one loop. Yeah, it's, it's a 13 foot. Um, 13 foot. That is tiny. 13 feet in diameter. Yeah, it's, it's not oh, very high. God, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah, if you look at this thing, no. Josh, it's scary, man. This was the early 1900s. Yeah. Yes, that is the one. Yeah. Um, another point for Joel for doing some of my research for me, <laughs> <laughs> which I I thought I had that in my research, and I somehow just skipped over it. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole article just on the inversion aspects of roller coasters. Yeah, which is cool. <laughs> oh, so I actually, oh man, I'm doing this all out of order. You guys are just making me jump around with the thing. This is all your fault. Wait, I feel um, like we haven't been saying a lot. <laughs> get, get back on track. Yeah, let me get back on track. Uh, oh, shit. Point for Josh. No. Uh, <laughs> was I really supposed to give Joel a point there, though? Jokes yeah, oh yeah, okay. give yeah. Um, so kind of kind of going yeah, back, yeah. uh, kind of switching back. To something I want to talk Jeez, about. Uh, yeah, so the um, the whole idea with the minecart, there was someone named Lamarcus Adna Thompson, 
Wow. And, Again, uh, man or woman, this is tough. These are tricky names. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> he saw these mine carts and he, he took that idea and made the first switchback roller coaster at Coney Island. And what that was, was it literally started at the top of a hill and then just went down. It, it went like six miles per hour. The excitement rating was not high. Did it have again? I don't know. Adjusted for inflation. Did they? Well, did the cars <laughs> tilt as they went around the turns. I don't think there were turns. Oh, it started. It basically it started at the top of a hill, went down, went a little ways, and then went up a hill, and then stopped, and then went backwards, backwards, oh, and then back okay. to where it started. I see now. I see. So yeah. it would just kind of rock back and forth. Yeah, because for, okay. for a long time, a roller coaster, like what we call a roller coaster now, was not like a closed circuit. It was like you'd start at point A and it would end at point B. It's like a shuttle coaster. Yeah. Oh, man. This is what I knew. I knew he'd just be racking up points. <laughs> oh, do I get a, another one? I think anytime you just say the name of a type of roller coaster, I'm going to give you a point. Did it, was I supposed to get one for the side friction thing? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Someone for him not winning, huh? <laughs> well, you and I are tied now, Joel. Ooh. So no more points for Josh. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, the, first, the first steel roller coaster was in 1959 at Disneyland. Wow. Oh. Um, called Matterhorn Bobsleds. Um, but yeah, so loops and like other inverting elements and like corkscrews, they didn't like become popular or widely used and like they didn't like really figure out how to do that shit without people hurting themselves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until corkscrews like, are awesome. Yeah, until like the 70s, yeah. like the huh. mid 70s. Those lateral G's will get you. Yeah. So, but that, so I have like this this whole timeline of like, notable roller coasters oh yes i um, probably know a bunch of these so like the first and, and again Spit out some dates before you see the name yeah oh yeah no i will them. so <laughs> <laughs> there's this kind of goes back to like me just being in awe about how much stuff was invented a long time ago in um uh, the first the first roller coaster to have two cars racing each other Okay. Was in 1817. Uh, wow. Whoa, that's so yeah. much earlier. Wow, I like long I like ago. when that happens. Yeah. And that was also the year when they did have the first complete circuit roller coaster. But like the first powered chain lift was in 1885. Hmm. Or the, the first use of the lap bar came after the first looping roller coaster. That was in 1907. Oh my when they god! First had people a lap bar. Okay, so you're saying people were going upside down. Yeah, the first looping roller coaster was in 1846, which is the one that yeah the set oh the god. centrifugal railway. Yep. No lap bars, nothing holding you in that car except the G's. Except baby. the G's. Yeah, it's yeah. all about the G's, baby. <laughs> first roller coaster to reach 100 feet tall was the Cyclone in Revere Beach, Massachusetts, in oh, 1925. How about that? 1925, Revere Mass. Hell yeah. 100 foot tall coaster. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just like roller coasters. Definitely. But yeah. Um, Mr. Bones Wild Ride. Get me off. off. So, if anyone uh, wants to play Roller Coaster Tycoon online with Josh and I, you get Open RCT. <laughs> um, Send us send us a text. <laughs> and, uh, just direct messages. How it's done. Yeah, we'll how we'll it's build done. a park together. It'll be a lot of fun. But just you know, be warned. We're pros. We do it for a living. 
Our experts bring it in. All right, we're back. What's up, Joel? Well, let's let's wrap this thing up. Uh, it, what what do the points look like there, Josh? Caitlin, you didn't yeah. get any points. Sorry, bud. Uh, you know, I feel I feel like I did, but I'll just I'm fine with it. I feel like I no, I feel like I should have given Caitlin points or something. There was something. No, I buy I, it. Maybe you should have gave her some points. I no, I thought I said it, but I didn't. I must not have. Maybe you no. thought it's it. Guys, I it's okay. It, yeah. I I'm cool with it. Cool. All right. Well then, uh, Chris. Chris got a point. Oh yeah. One. Nice. Joel. Hey, Joel job, got Chris. three points. Wow. Nice, Joel. Josh. Josh got three points. Oh, oh my damn. goodness. Congrats you gotta be careful to talking both. about yourself in the third person like that because nobody knows you're actually you. Don't worry about it. Voice mixed we up. all have distinctive oh, well, no. voices. Um, I got three points. I got three points as well. So Josh and I have to fight to the death now to figure out who goes. Oh, that week. was your brilliant idea? Yeah. Oh, okay. One like out it. of three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll fucking fight you. Well, right. let's set some ground rules first. Oh, I don't know. I think no rules. Uh, no rules? Death. Okay, well, okay. No rules, but... Take clothes off. We'll just fucking oil us up. Okay, well, Diapers. that's two okay, rules right there. Slappers only. No odd jobs. I get that reference. Thanks. Slappers only. So basically, I think we should probably just... Uh, Rock, paper, scissors, huh? I have oh, a yeah. really, I have I'm an okay even better way what? to handle this. Joel, you went first today. Yep. I'll go first next there time. There we go. Okay. I love it. That's All right. Very that's diplomatic. That's that. um, so every week we like to end the show with uh, just kind of some some topics that we're gonna we're gonna try to to touch on next week. But um, before we do that, I, I do want to say again that like you can reach us on uh, one out of four experts uh at gmail.com and you can find one out of four all over the internet now um you know the number one the number four experts the word of yeah the word all out. over uh also you know instagram and twitter yeah. and we be on facebook i think i don't know whatever we'll figure it out zanga come find us yeah zanga um, all over we'll, Zango. We're on we'll LimeWire. At this point, hopefully. <laughs> LimeWire. Yeah, we're on LimeWire. Yeah, uh, LimeWire. Uh, one out of four experts underscore more than a feeling dot mp3. <laughs> and it's probably just going to be that stupid Bill Clinton ad. What? No, I don't remember just, that one. Just comes on and it's Bill Clinton talking. Uh, LimeWire kids will remember. I was a LimeWire kid. You don't remember, remember that? I downloaded like three SpongeBob episodes Every on LimeWire when I, I was a child. I downloaded anything. They would, it would say the name of the thing like you thought you were getting the right thing, and then it would just be like... It would always be a Bill yeah. Clinton speech? It would be a speech? bad Bill Clinton impression saying what? something. And I don't even remember what it said. It was like an ad or some shit. It was like a Rick Roll before that was a thing. Yeah. Okay. Really you got Clinton. So should we say what our topics for next week are? Yeah, I'm going to talk about uh, toenails... And, uh, you know, other places they can grow that you might not expect. I'm going to show you how you can uh, add your favorite smell to everything you own. I'm going to talk about, like, the maximum expansion level of a balloon before it pops. I'm going to be talking about um, swimsuits made of lunch meat, uh, deli meat swimsuits, yeah. That's it. What's happening? Uh, next week on One Out of Four Experts.